Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I am Greg, and this is the, uh, this is a normal podcast. This is the one that uh, will be before the break, so I will be off next week as I will be on my trip. I'll be in Ireland. And, uh... So, yeah, but I wanted to get one in today, and then I should be able to get one in when I get back, so we're just going to miss one week, I think. We're actually leaving tomorrow on Thursday, so Thursday we're leaving, and then we get back a week, and then the following Sunday. So we're gone about 10 days, roughly. Uh, so, yeah, so I wanted – there were a couple stories that came up, so I definitely wanted to, wanted to chat with y'all. And this is going to sound so strange, probably, but – I, I mentioned a few times before, like I have a legitimate fear of flying, which is weird because I don't really have phobias and fears of anything like that. And, and I don't really, I guess it just proves that you're happy and that you're happy with your life when you certainly don't want to perish. Uh, but uh, I've been feeling weirder about this one. So this might sound really strange, but if this is the last podcast I ever do... I just wanted you all to know it's been quite a blast and I always enjoyed doing this a lot. And I know that's going to seem strange. Like people are going to be like, what do you, what do you talk about, man? Um, but I just, uh, yeah, I always enjoyed doing this. This was a, a creative outlet. F- this, th- this is a creative outlet for me. I don't want to already talk in the past <laughs> tense. This is a creative outlet for me, but knowing that there are, are you know, people out there listening every single week means a lot. And uh, so it also means that maybe I know what I'm talking about <laughs> and it verified some of the effort I put into my opinions over the over the years. And so hopefully I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Uh, if you know, but if not, I hope I hope you all have a good time. <laughs> it's like it's I know it's weird. I know it's weird. I get very I get very strange right before I fly. I get very nervous. Um, you know, I I go talk to a lot of my friends. I talk to my family and I kind of almost do like a final goodbye. I know it sounds crazy, but you know, and then I have to, uh, more, more because of how I feel. If anything would happen, I have to write up like a, a will so that if I were to, uh, to die that, uh, you know, the store would be taken care of because even in my death, I would be so, worried that I'm being a burden to other people. (laughs) So I've got to go and do all these sort of things so that if anything were to happen to me, the store could keep operating with Dave and Dom running it. And so it's such a weird thing. And, you know, so you kind of face down, right? I'm staring down the, no pun intended, I'm staring down the barrel of my mortality and probably all for nothing, you know, but I don't know why it, it just, this one feels a little different. And so, you know, I just feel a little more and I get a little more, I get worse every year, unfortunately. Like I would think that the more I fly, it would get better and easier and it doesn't, it's actually getting more difficult. And I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, like my doctor said he could give me something, you know, to like chill me out on a flight. And I thought, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm not really a big fan of taking medication. I don't even like taking Advil or, or aspirin for headaches and, and, and so he's like, well, you could always have a couple of beers. <laughs> and I said, now we're talking, doc. <laughs> now you're speaking my language. <laughs> now, now I can. So usually what I do is when I get on the plane, I'll have a beer. But I think I need to start earlier than that. So we have a flight. Our flight leaves at like 830 out of Chicago. 
And so it's an overnight flight to Ireland, and it's direct, O'Hare to Ireland, to O'Hare to Dublin. And so I might sleep, but sleeping on airplanes like impossible. I don't understand how people are able to do that. But if I have a few beers, that will certainly help. So, yeah, yeah, you know, we'll have to see. Uh, also, uh, my brother and I might be playing Heroes on the plane, which will help. Like, well, he's gonna have his laptop. We might play Heroes of Might Magic Three. So that that uh, that should be a good time. But again, I hope that's not super weird to everybody. But just another. Another, you know, window open into the life of what's going on up in this crazy brain of mine <laughs> and kind of how it all works out. Um, but it's been my absolute pleasure to do this podcast for people who actually want to listen to my opinions. It, it makes me feel very good uh, knowing that on our YouTube channel that, you know, one of my videos has almost 100,000 views. So people have watched my stuff over a million minutes of me talking is out there where the world has seen it. And so I, I, I appreciate all that so much. It has been the absolute pleasure uh, of my life. And if it somehow made me money, I would transition out of running a game store into doing this more. But this doesn't make money. In fact, this costs me money. <laughs> What I pay in hosting fees and for equipment has never been paid back. And maybe it will someday. And if it doesn't, who cares? Because that's a little known secret, I think, to a lot of people on the Internet. And I, I get this with a lot, with some of the hate comments I see on like a Billy Mitchell video or something else. But not everyone who's on the Internet making content is trying to get rich from it. And, and so that's not the default. And not that there aren't a lot of people that are. I would say probably most people are. Like they want to – like I see a lot of uh, – you know, I see a lot of people on different subreddits. They'll share something be like, hey, I just started my channel three weeks ago. What's the fastest way to get subscribers and followers and ma I need to get making money? Like I don't have a job right now. Like if you start this expecting to make fast money, you're not – you're going to be very disappointed. <laughs> I think our 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 YouTube channel in the two and a half years we've been going, I think has made about fifteen hundred dollars, and not that that's something to, to to scoff at. I mean that's really impressive, but that's with one video almost at a million views. That's uh, Jordan's uh, you know just beats and shapes intro, and then you've got my four Billy Mitchell videos at like thirty to a hundred thousand. And a bunch of other videos in there. And Jordan's got a bunch of other videos above 50000 So with all of that, we still only make that much money in that amount of time. So, you know, that's not even – that's like 50 bucks a month I think it averages out to or something. So it doesn't even pay the rent in our office. <laughs> we, we rent an office for our YouTube channel. <laughs> it doesn't even pay for that. So, you know, it's all right. It is what it is. But that's the secret, right? Not everyone's trying to make money doing this. For me, like I seem to have found my life path in in my store, and so if I'm doing that, it's hard to. What do I want to say? It's hard to go off of that. You know, like how do you veer off that path? Like you you've got a successful path, and not saying that you shouldn't take chances and take risks. I think you should, but if you've got an established path of something that you know you do well, like you can't just throw that away because you may not want to do it anymore. Um, I will admit I have been selling video games for almost 20 years, so it would be nice to do something different, but it's what I know and it's what I'm good at, so I'm just going to keep doing it. Uh, so with that being said, we have our pickup pile of the week, mod moderate pickup pile of the week. Uh, we have our game of the week picked out. I have a listener question, 
And I have a few stories. First, we're going to talk more Fallout 76 negativity. We're going to talk about PlayStation 4 cross-play being fully enabled now. And lastly, we're going to talk about Troy Baker, who said he did not return to Borderlands 3 because of an issue with Gearbox. So, um, yeah, so we're, we're going to hit the ground running. We're going to start it here, and here we go. So like I said, first up on the podcast, we're going to talk about Fallout 76. And, the you know, a, a game that's arguably been a disappointment, to say the least, to some. I'm sure some people enjoy it. Totally cool. Um, however, the hits just keep coming. <laughs> and so, you know, it was when the game came out, there was the nylon bag versus canvas bag debacle. Obviously, the online issues, the, um, you know, the locking people's systems, the hard freezes. And now we have a Fallout 76 wearable helmet recalled because of dangerous mold. (laughs) The Nuka-Cola-themed helmet was sold exclusively at GameStop, not included with the collector's edition. So (laughs) this is, man, we get GameStop and Fallout 76 all in one article and mold. So the article goes on to say, this is a Polygon article, by the way, uh, Charlie Hall. This this actually was about a week ago, too, uh, a week ago yesterday, but it came out after the podcast, so I want to get it, get it on here. Uh, it goes on to say, though, a collectible helmet produced to celebrate the launch of Fallout 76 is being recalled because it contains dangerous levels of mold. While no incidents or injuries have been reported at this time, consumers are urged to contact the retailer and return the product for a full refund. So that's a good sign. That doesn't mean that someone died of mold and that's how they discovered it. It was discovered before any uh, customer issues. That's fantastic. That is excellent. Very good. Uh, The article goes on to say the helmet, which was produced by Chronicle Collectibles and sold online by GameStop, originally retailed for $149.99. Uh, and then according to an unboxing video on YouTube, the Nuka-Cola themed helmet is nearly identical to the standard gray helmet included with the Fallout 76 Collector's Edition. An announcement was made by the United States Consumer Protection Safety Commission website warned that the inner liner of the helmet can contain dangerous levels of mold. <laughs> I can't uh, I can't get over that. Um it, it, it so did it did it have mold before it went out or was it just a material susceptible to mold? I'm so confused by this. Uh, quote: Mold can be present on the fabric insert inside the helmet, posing a risk of respiratory or other infections in individuals with compromised immune systems, damaged lungs, or an allergy to mold. End quote. States the recall notice. Around twenty thousand units were made. So they're saying that mold could be present on the fabric on the inside, which I would guess then that the mold was already there when the helmets were put together. So does that mean that when they were getting ready to manufacture these helmets, wherever they were manufactured, most likely China, that they that the fabric they used was old and moldy? Oldy moldy fabric? Oh, that's crazy that that's, you know, that that's a possibility, right? Um So then it goes on to say, this is not the first issue related to Fallout 76 collectibles. When the game launched late last year, fans found that their collectible helmets had been shipped with a nylon carrying bag instead of a canvas one. We mentioned that at the beginning of the podcast. Bethesda initially offered $5 of in-game currency by way of apology. Mounting anger eventually led to the publisher to offer a replacement canvas bag. And then a few days later, there was actually an update to this. And I find this interesting on, on a few levels, but here's the update september 25th 
After our article was published, a representative from Chronicle Collectibles reached out to let us know that of the 20,000 Nuka-Cola-themed helmets that were manufactured, only 32 were sold. <laughs> it says that all of those customers were directly notified about the recall. <coughs> Excuse me. All 20,000 units have been recalled. Um, so they really only sold 32? That is pathetic. <laughs> that... 32 out of 20,000 were sold. Uh, so there's that. Also, though, now this, if you, what I recent, what I just said here, after our article was published, a representative from Chronicle Collectibles reached out to us. Did Polygon not reach out to Chronicle Collectibles for a comment? You know, that's kind of journalism 101. Like, you hear a story about a company, you reach out to that company for comment? I don't. Right? Isn't that like a thing? So so they didn't do that. But someone from them reached out to Polygon to let them know that of the 20,000 Nuka-Cola-themed helmets, only 32 were sold. <laughs> 32. <laughs> that's, that's terrible. I mean, there's like, there's no way around that. It's just terrible. Um, my goodness. Um, yeah, so, okay, so moldy helmets. Uh, follow, Bethesda cannot catch a break. Now, is this Bethesda's fault? No. They licensed the helmet to a company. A company had a manufacturer make it. That manufacturer probably screwed up. So it's not even really Chronic Collectibles' fault because detecting mold in a helmet is probably difficult to do. Like, I don't think you typically go around being like, oh, we got to do a mold check on this product. You look at it to see if it feels cheaply made. You look at it if it's, you know, quality product. You don't detect mold in the fabric um so yeah but they just the hits just keep on coming fallout 76 has been essentially a dumpster fire it's kind of fun my brother and i played it for a few hours it was fine but i would never play it longer than that um so pretty disappointing and i paid full price for it so i guess i might as well go back to playing it someday when they fix it because well hell i've i own it now uh and 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 i have to say i'm disappointed the game is not free to play yet uh, I had I had called March as it going free to play, and I was wrong. So I'll have to admit that because when it goes free to play, which it eventually will, uh, we'll see how far off I was on my date. But yes, yeah, so if by some crazy chance you bought one of these, this is the red one. It says that all customers were notified by email and all have been recalled. But just be careful, and I guess it makes sense how easy it'd be to recall if you only sold thirty two out of twenty thousand. Because if there's only 32 out in the wild, you know, and you tell people it's moldy and they get a full refund. Most people that bought this helmet are probably regretting it anyway. So <laughs> like six months later, you're like, Hey, you want to return that helmet you overpaid for? And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Give me full price. Give me full price. Give me my money back. I'm sure everyone would jump on that offer. All right. So next up on the podcast today, we're talking about PlayStation four crossplay again. So, if you remember, it was a big deal last year. So last year, it was, it was revealed that Sony had actually been blocking crossplay, which is odd. It wasn't just that they weren't putting effort into it. They were straight up blocking certain aspects of crossplay. And then only certain big companies, the way their back end worked, were able to get it working. And so then eventually, after a lot of, I guess, over over-exaggerated hyperbole and... 
uh, you know, articles saying about how the you know Sony is hurting its customers by not offering crossplay, and by a pretty lame excuse by Sony as to why they don't do crossplay. After all of that, Sony essentially buckled, and so they worked into they worked into their their uh, system, their process, uh, a beta test for crossplay. So this was basically uh, a way that developers could then say. Okay, we want to we want to get crossplay working, and it would get the ball rolling. So they, they, it opened it up. It was still up to the developers to get it working, um, and really, it all started because I believe it was Epic with Fortnite accidentally allowed crossplay, and so that it was like a thing for a night that people were playing together, and then it, the articles all came out, and so that was so that's just proved how easy it was to get implemented. Um, so anyway, the, what's funny about this too is that this isn't even an official announcement from Sony. This came out yesterday on a Wired article that was really about the price cut of PlayStation Now. So that was another part of the story, which isn't really the main story I want to talk about here. But so PlayStation Now is the digital streaming service for Sony. And so they used to be about 20 bucks a month because I think, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, was that what it was? Well, whatever it was, it was like 20 bucks a month or something. But then I think you could buy a whole year cheaper. Well, now they're saying it's $10 a month which is cheaper, obviously, and they're adding better titles. They're adding God of War, Infamous Second Son, Uncharted 4, and Grand Theft Auto 5. And so that was their way of saying, hey, we're making our PlayStation Now service better. So in this article, when that's what they're talking about, they also just happen to say, oh, by the way, <laughs> we're, we're, we finally have let the beta end for crossplay, and now it's an available tool for any developer that wants to do crossplay just wide open. And so you think that would have been a huge announcement. Like that that to me would have been a bigger announcement almost than the PlayStation Now dropping, especially for PR purposes. Like why wasn't why wasn't Sony just like screaming that from the heavens like you you asked, you requested, we listened, we care about our customers. Here it is. They didn't do that. Uh so one final thing though caught my attention in this article. So the article was with um, Jim Ryan. So he's the CEO of Sony Interactive Entertainment. And so at the very end of the article, he says, um, let's see here. Uh, the uh, quote, the track record of the incumbent platform winning the next time around is not a great one. Jim Ryan says, so the major thrust of my executive energy is to avoid complacency. End quote. So what he's saying there is the track record of the incumbent platform winning. So whoever led this, the, the, whoever was the most successful console in a generation typically isn't the most successful the next generation. And so he's trying to say that we're not going to rest on our laurels. We're not going to become complacent because that is what will lead to not being industry leaders and not being as successful as the other brands talking about Nintendo and Microsoft. And so that's that's it's good to me that that's on their plate because arguably and you could argue that it has worked back to back a few times PlayStation 1 to PlayStation 2 uh PlayStation 3 to PlayStation 4 and I know it sounds silly to say well, what about PS2 to PS3 well the PlayStation 3 if you somehow don't know had an incredibly rough start. It was an overpriced machine. Well I shouldn't even say that. It was an expensive machine that was out of the average consumer's price rate. We had an economy that was getting ready to tumble. 
And so you had people that didn't want to spend $600 on a gaming console, no matter how powerful it was. And Sony, again, kept pitching it as the ultimate media device that also plays video games, the one machine in your house. And that's a, that's a losing strategy with selling game consoles. You need to pitch it as a game console. And then the rest is extra features, not the game be, the game part being tacked on. But the PlayStation 3 made a huge recovery. I mean, worldwide, it, 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 it spun around and it got back up to where it needed to be. In the U.S., I think it still might have even lagged behind Microsoft. But as far as worldwide, Sony did a great job. And that momentum carried into the PS4, which PlayStation 4, out the gate, was a very successful system and carried that success through this entire generation. But like, and, and Jim Ryan seems to understand this, that to be successful in the future isn't what was successful in the past. So what was successful in the past was you sell 100 million units of a system, you're successful because when you sell 100 million units, it probably means you sold 4 million pieces of software and 4 million accessories to go along with it. Those numbers I'm just pulling out of my ass. But like the idea that that you get more software and hardware, you get more software and accessory sales based off of hardware in home. So that's what that's what the measure of success was, rightfully so, because that was accurate. But the future's changing, and with something like PlayStation Now, as we get into Google Stadia and uh, you know X Cloud from Microsoft, and you start getting these other types of the, of ways to game, you don't necessarily selling a PlayStation Four to somebody doesn't necessarily result in you making as much money as you did selling a console to someone all those years ago when it only mattered about the console. If you're going to if you can play PlayStation Now on your PC, which is possible, if you do that, you may not ever have to own a PS4. So Sony might be making money off of customers that never purchased hardware. And so the point is is that what was successful back then as a metric is not what's successful today as a metric. And I appreciate that he recognizes that. So they've made changes to PlayStation Now. I still feel it's grossly uh lame compared to um, Xbox Game Pass. I think Game Pass is an awesome service. I don't see, um, un until they get that perfectly level across the board with PC and Xbox and offering the same games, I don't see that being the end-all be-all of how Microsoft offers their services, but it's good. Game Pass is, I think, a good deal. I think for the money you pay, it's a good service. PlayStation Now, especially at $20 a month, I did not think that. Uh, and it was really, it started off as Sony's way of allowing people to play PS3 games on their PS4. Well, now you don't have to worry about that anymore because they are putting more of an effort into it. And so Jim Ryan seems to be saying here, we're putting more effort into PlayStation Now. But I thought it was interesting, again, just about how they were saying that arguably having success previous does not mean automatically having success now. And look at the Xbox 360. The Xbox 360 was an excellent system. I mean, it had excellent exclusives. It had it, it was it was on its way. And then the Xbox 1, they shifted focus. They just they had a different strategy. And that strategy in my opinion was a failure. And and not even necessarily that the strategy was bad, it's just it was too early. The all digital future is coming. The problem with Microsoft is they're constantly trying to force the future when and i remember the, there's a quote when the original xbox only had an ethernet port in the back there was no um 
uh, whatever they call the just a normal phone jack. I forget the the code of the wiring, but you know it only had an Ethernet cable, not phone cord for internet which if you remember the playstation 2 ethernet uh network adapter had both and so microsoft like think the quote from oh i forget his name he was kind of a weasley dude anyway it doesn't matter he said something like you know we're gonna pull customers into the future kicking and screaming if we have to and that was kind of their joke was like we're gonna have advanced hardware and features and if you're not ready for it we're gonna we're gonna pull you kicking and screaming into the future of the way things should be done and that's not even a bad attitude to have necessarily but it doesn't always work and i think they tried to be too aggressive with that with the xbox one and it set them back the entire generation and then they went through different they went through leadership change and then they went through the drought of well we're not gonna do a lot of first party software we're not coming up with any original IPs. You know, we're going to stay the course, do our thing. And that didn't work either. So now they're refocusing. They're focusing more on making game studio or buying game studios to make exclusive games. They're focusing more on the gaming aspect of it. Philip Spencer, I think, is good for that company. He seems to be connected with what the average gamer wants, stuff like that. So it's good. Um, but that's the difference between a strategy generation. And so now you've got Sony making a huge strategy change where they're focusing more, but they're doing it probably the right way. Like they're not going too soon. Like now with Stadia, xCloud and PlayStation now, like obviously if everybody's doing it, like that is a tonal shift in the market of how games are distributed. And that's fine. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, personally, I, I do prefer my physical media, but it's inevitable that one day everything will be digital. I mean, to, to deny that is silly. And really to deny the best way to play games is silly. But collecting is still fun, and there's nothing wrong with that either. There's nothing wrong with preferring physical media, but to to like go kicking and screaming and you know saying that uh, I'm not gonna, you know, refrigerators killed the milkman. You know, it's like yeah, it did, but that's the that's the future. And then now look what we have as technology gets better. Like you have to take these steps into the future to get the stuff that's even gonna be more incredible in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. But it was cool. But I, I like that he acknowledges that. I like that he acknowledges that it is easy to be on top and go from first to worst. Much like my fantasy season last year. <laughs> my fantasy football season last year, first to worst. Won the championship, finished dead last a year after. It's that easy. All right. So lastly on the podcast today, we're going to be talking about a story about Borderlands 3, Gearbox, and Troy Baker. So Troy Baker is a voice actor. Uh, if you don't know, he's done a whole bunch of stuff. He was Booker DeWitt from Bioshock. He was Sam Drake in Uncharted 4. That was uh, Nathan Drake's brother. And he does a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, some people refer to him as, uh, as like, the second best voice actor um, behind... Uh, oh, gosh. I'm totally going to get killed for not remembering this. But uh, anyway, he's... A very good voice actor, very common in a lot of video games. That's all you need to know. Nolan North. <laughs> it's, it's like, I'm going to get killed for that. So a lot of people consider him like a secondary Nolan. Nolan North gets all the good roles. He gets everything that Nolan North passes on. I think that's kind of disingenuous, but I digress. It's, you know, he's a pretty big deal in the voice acting scene. Let's just say that. So this gets kind of messy. So bear with me here as I get through this all. But the headline, Kotaku's article, Troy Baker says he didn't voice Reese in Borderlands 3 because, quote, they wouldn't go union, end quote. 
So, uh, the article goes on. Earlier this year, Borderlands fans were devastated to learn that actor Troy Baker would not be reprising his role as Reese in Borderlands 3. At the time, publisher Gearbox's co-founder Randy Pitchford said Baker, quote, turned it down, end quote, but a recent interview with Baker makes things sound more complicated. Uh, Troy Baker says, quote, it was simply a matter they wouldn't go union, end quote, Baker told VG247 of Gearbox. He continued, Quote, I can't do a non-union gig, and without getting too deep into the weeds of that, we had long conversations about this. We always knew going into it that this was going to be a thing. They were going to take these characters and put them from Tales of the Borderlands series from Telltale into Borderlands proper. I've been waiting for this call. They were like, do you want to do this? And I said, yes. They never, because they would never move from that position. I'm not mad. It's invariably a completely different character but it still stings. So he's saying that they talked about this from when Tales of the Borderland came out and he voiced Reese. They knew they were going to bring him into Borderlands 3. And so they said that they knew this was coming and this was an ongoing thing. And one thing to note is that Tales from the Borderland is not a Gearbox game. It's a Telltale game using the Borderlands license. It was a Telltale game, I guess. Telltale's kind of not really around, but coming back under different, different leadership. Um... Baker had previously voiced his desire to reprise the Borderlands role in at least two public instances. Once at Supernova, uh, Supernova Melbourne panel, Baker said that if Gearbox brought back characters from Telltale's Tales from the Borderlands, it should be the people who originated the characters. They shouldn't just recast willy-nilly, because as a fan, that matters to me. End quote. Later, in an only SP interview, Baker said that he'd, quote, love to come back and added, quote, I think it's interesting that Randy Pitchford tweeted out that I turned it down, and then he said he heard that I turned it down. I would fact check that before I tweeted that out to the Internet, end quote. Pitchford also noted in his April tweet that, quote, with how Reese appears in game, I don't think it actually matters at all. You'll see for yourself when the game comes out, and you may disagree with me or not on that, end quote. So, uh, again, there's a lot to unpack here um, because basically what Troy Baker is saying is that Gearbox would not sign a union contract with the unit he belongs to. Now, there is no rule against him working outside the union, but it kind of defeats the purpose of that union. The idea is that they all sign up together, and if they don't take work unless they're part of that union, it forces companies to hire and sign union contracts because there'll be no one to do work for them if everyone refuses to do it. Who's part of that. But obviously it's always difficult because this is a cutthroat business and say, I wanted to be a voice actor and I started off and I wanted to get into that guild. And as much as it would hurt me, I don't know if I could turn down jobs. The ones I really, really needed because I, if I know that other people aren't going to go for it and I might get it, it's really hard to pass that up it really is. Uh, so anyway, so it goes on to say, uh, the article goes on to say, to remain in solidarity with their union members, SAG-AFTRA, that's just the acronym for the guild, they can't accept work on a production that hasn't also signed a contract with SAG-AFTRA. SAG-AFTRA voice actors enjoy labor protections like guaranteed minimum rates that boost the labor standards for the industry. A SAG-AFTRA spokesperson had this to say after discussions with Gearbox. Quote, we applaud any member who stands up for workplace fairness and the integrity of their creative work. It is courageous decision to act in the best interest of one's fellow members of this honor, and this honors all working people. 
The misguided decision by Gearbox to deny their performers the opportunity to have fair union wages, a safe workplace, and the possibility of health care coverage for their families is unfortunate. We attempted to sign Gearbox to a union agreement. They refused and disengaged from those talks. We look forward to hearing from any Gearbox performer who is interested in the many protections a union agreement offers actors. So that's a little cheeky at the end there, right? Because they're saying, hey, if you're a voice actor for Gearbox... Come talk to us about joining the union because <laughs> that's kind of their shot at saying they don't take care of their voice actors. And if you remember, we did a story about this not long ago that had the original voice actor for Claptrap didn't come back either because they didn't want to pay uh, a specific rate. And that came from when he originally got paid to do the role. He was just an employee of the company, so he didn't get paid any extra for the role. He just did it as part of his job which I thought was fair. I don't think he should have been extra compensated, but then when you want to bring him back, I don't know what they offered him, but it clearly wasn't enough and it wasn't up to the industry standards. So then though, Gearbox provides Kotaku with the statement, uh, follow up as well. Troy is an exceptional talent and we are disappointed that he declined to partner with borderlands three after being offered the part. We wish him the best and hope he knows the offer to collaborate with him still stands. Gearbox is a Texas company and is bound by Texas law, which means that a person cannot be denied employment because of membership or non-membership in a labor union or other labor organization. As a talent-owned and talent-led organization, Gearbox enthusiastically works to ensure our pay and working conditions meet or exceed union standards. We also believe strongly in hiring local voice actors whenever we can, which is why we're thrilled Troy's career really took off after working with us. <laughs> so, okay. Okay. So this whole thing, like this, this feels to me like written completely by, completely by Randy Pitchford. Like this just sounds like something he would say. Cause so first they say, we're disappointed that he declined to partner with us after being offered the part. Okay, they could have said something like, it's unfortunate that because we we didn't sign a union agreement that Troy didn't want to work with us, but we appreciate you know him standing up for his values and we hope to work with him in the future. That's all you have to say. And that's classy and that gets the point across. You don't blame it. This completely blames him saying, we were totally willing to work with him and pay him this garbage wage. Well, I shouldn't say that because we don't know that, but we were willing to pay him our wage but he didn't want it because we didn't sign this deal. But so I don't like that. I don't like this take from Gearbox. I think they could have handled this much better. And then at the very end here, this is the this is one of the nastiest things I've ever read like under the veil. We we also believe strongly in hiring local voice actors whenever we can, which is why we're thrilled Troy's career really took off after working with us. So they're basically saying that, oh, we're so happy for him, you know, after we made him successful. We're really happy for him after we made him successful. What in the hell is that? That is just a really snooty, really stuck-up comment. And it's really unprofessional, in my opinion. And I hope that other voice actors look at this and decide not to work with them until they change their attitude. And I'm not saying they should sign the union agreement. If it's not good for their company, they shouldn't do it. And they're going to be the ones who know that. They're going to know the numbers. They're going to know if it makes sense. They're going to know if it makes a difference to sign Troy Baker at a higher rate or to hire some nobody off the street. It doesn't matter. They're going to know that we don't. And I'm not going to tell them how they should run their business. But I could tell. But I, what I will tell them is when, a, when, a, when something looks bad. And this take 
looks bad. Them saying how, oh, we're so proud of him after we made him successful. And, oh, it's all his fault. You know, we really want to work with him, but it's all his fault. You could have totally had a tonal shift in that. And that's why I'm pretty sure this is Randy Pitchford who wrote this directly because this just stinks of, like, his pettiness, I would say. Uh, the article goes on to say, in response to Gearbox's statement and questions about why other union actors are voicing Borderlands 3 characters, a SAG-AFTRA representative sent this over. So now this is a really important note. This was questions about why other union actors are voicing in Borderlands 3. So there are SAG-AFTRA rep um, members who are voice acting in Borderlands 3. This was, uh, and this was after Gearbox's statement. This is what the union had to say. <clears throat> Excuse me. Quote, Gearbox's reference to Texas law is non sequitur. SAG AFTRA's contract does not require Gearbox to deny anyone employment based on their union status. In fact, SAG AFTRA's contract does not require employers in any state to deny anyone employment based on union status. We are fully aware of the anti-labor right to work for less laws that help explain why Texas has more minimum wage workers than any state in the union. Employers in Texas and other right to work for less states nevertheless routinely work under SAG after agreements with no legal obstacles at all. To the extent that Gearbox's statement reflects legitimate ignorance, Gearbox could easily have asked that question during their discussions with SAG after which they did not. If indeed Gearbox meets or exceeds our contract standards in their treatment of performers, which we highly doubt, it would have cost them nothing to sign the union's agreement and retain the original cast of their game. While SAG-AFTRA does not comment on member discipline matters, we observe that SAG-AFTRA members who work for certain non-union non employers not only deprive themselves of the benefit of a union agreement, they lower the standards for all their peers and facilitate the abuse and exploitation of performers. Huh. Okay, that's a lot. Let me break it down here for you. So basically what they're saying is Gearbox in their statement said they can't sign that union agreement because uh, because of Texas laws, they were arguing that if, if they sign the agreement, anyone who's not in the agreement can't work there or anyone in the agreement or anyone in the uh, who's not a part of the agreement can't work there. And that's not true. So that's the first part. So Gearbox was wrong there, and that's what SAG was calling them out for. So they're wrong there. Uh, I will admit that, that the union's reply about how Texas labor laws are is also about as snooty as Gearbox's comment. I don't like that either. I don't like these kind of subtle jabs back and forth. I think there's just a level of professionalism you should try to keep in interactions like this uh, um, however so what they're trying to say is that signing the union agreement does not cost gearbox anything technically but realistically it does cost gearbox something because if they have to start paying higher wages to all of their voice actors that does cost them something now this i found very interesting though in the union comment <laughs> While we do not comment on member discipline matters, we observe that members who work for certain non-union non employers not only deprive themselves of the benefit of a union agreement, they lower the standards. So what they're trying to say is we don't talk about member discipline matters. So there might be discipline for a member who works for a company even though they don't have a union-signed contract. So it just it just sounds weird. So it's that must have been one of the questions that like Kotaku asked was, what is the punishment for people working outside of the contract? But 
they claim there is no punishment for it, but they also claim they don't comment on discipline matters. Very weird. Very, very weird stuff. I would like to know more about that personally. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think what I would say first is I, I applaud Troy Baker for having values that he stands up for. He, he believes that he should be part of a, of a, an actor's guild and that those people should command a certain amount of minimum compensation, which I agree with. So I'm okay with that. And then when tasked with that conflict, he stood up for what he believed in and decided not to do the job. Okay. Um, I don't like the look of Gearbox in this article. I don't see, unless there's a huge discrepancy, I don't see why they don't just sign it. You know, when you see all of these companies like Randy Pitchford on Twitter and he's pro this and pro this and pro worker and all these other things, even if, like, and again, we don't know the numbers and we don't know how crippling it could be, but this is one of those moments where you do the right thing to to sometimes look good. You don't necessarily do it because it's the right thing. You do it because it, 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 the optics are good. And I think the optics are, are bad on this for Gearbox. And I absolutely hate their reply to it. Again, we applaud any... Let me see here. Uh, Troy's an exceptional talent, and we were disappointed that he declined to partner after being offered the part. I mean, again, it's it's them blaming him, not taking any personal responsibility. And and again, it could have been just as easy as saying, we we applaud Troy for sticking up for what he believes in, and while we are you know while we at this time are not signing the agreement, we respect. And we hope we can work with them in the future. That's all you have to say. It's respectful. It gets your point across, which is, you know, this isn't our fault either. And yada, yada. Um, and then, of course, the the union is going to be smarmy when they get a reply like that from Gearbox anyways. So a little weird, a little weird story um, about why Troy Baker is not voicing Reese in Borderlands 3. And there it is. All right, and that is it for stories on the podcast today. And we got our usual fun stuff. We got our pickup pile of the week. We have our game of the week, and uh, I have a listener question. And then, and then we're gonna, and then we're gonna head out. And then we make like a fetus and head out. And I'm gonna, and I'm gonna go to Ireland tomorrow, and then I will hopefully talk to y'all in a couple weeks. So let's start with our game of the week. This music file is taking a really long time to start. Because <laughs> it didn't it didn't work. Alright, so our game of the week. We're sticking with the PlayStation theme, y'all, because it's the only way I can stay organized. <laughs> but we are in the B's now. We are in the B's. PlayStation 1, Brave Fencer Musashi. This uh, wild name, it is an action RPG by Square, published by Squaresoft. It included a demo for Final Fantasy VIII, which I would argue is why 99% of people bought the game, so they could play Final Fantasy VIII. The first playable demo of this after the amazing Final Fantasy VII. And this game, I remember buying it specifically for the demo, playing the demo, going, wow, Final Fantasy is pretty cool, man. Oh, it's going to be good. It's going to be a good one. And then I was like, well, maybe I should play this game I bought. And Brave Fencer ended up really surprising me. It's almost got action platform elements to it as well. 
Um, but it's got a really cute, like, it's all 3D. You run around. I mean, I don't want to say it's like a 3D Legend of Zelda. It's not like that. It's harder to describe. But it's got a charm to it. All the characters have a specific style. It's really, really fun. I highly recommend checking it out. Um, so an action RPG platformer. Um, you, you play as like a, like a little samurai samurai dude. And uh, it's really, really fun. Brave Fencer Musashi. They did a sequel on PS2 called Musashi Samurai Legend. That game sucks, unfortunately. But um, <laughs> this, uh, this one's good. Uh, Brave Fencer Musashi on PlayStation 1. Check it out. If you're into PlayStation 1 RPGs or PlayStation 1 action games, it is a, uh, it is a must-have for the library. All right. And our pickup pile of the week. Not too bad today. Seven games in the pickup pile this week. Um, starting off first, we got... I picked up a copy of God of War, Ghosts of Sparta for PSP. I have the collection for PS3 that has this game on it, along with Chains of Olympus. But I liked it. I I, I, uh, I want to collect all these, I think. God of War, especially back then, these were pretty much all hits. I, they didn't really make a bad God of War game, as far as I'm concerned. There were ones that started to overplay the formula. But there were never really any that weren't good. And so Ghost of Sparta was exclusive to PSP until they remastered it for uh, PS3. Um, then I have a couple of NES games. I have three. First up is Roadrunner. <laughs> so this game's not good, okay? I'm just going to get that out of the way right away. This game is not good, but I used to rent it all the time from the local grocery store. I don't know why. It's not particularly fun. I haven't played it in years, but it's a Tengen game, and you run around as a roadrunner, you eat little piles of food, and then you're running away from Wile E. Coyote. So pretty much just like the cartoons. Uh, or no, you play as Wile E. Coyote. Wait, do you, who do you, am I, am I totally spacing here? What am I, well, let me read this real quick. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think you, yeah, you have to run around as, uh, yeah, 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 you run around as, as the roadrunner because you have to pick up food and stuff like that. And the whole time, Wiley Cody is trying to get you. I knew I was right. I don't know why I questioned myself. But anyway, the box is really cool. Like, it's got that, you know, that that copper Tengen box. And it's Roadrunner. It's got the great... I don't know. I, I just have an attachment to it from being a kid. So I bought it. Game sucks. So don't don't play it if you don't want to. But it, you know, whatever. Um, and then I picked up... We we had traded in, like, a mint and box copy of WWF WrestleMania for NES. Now, again, this game isn't great, and the music is very droning, very horrible, but I have good memories of this game as well. It's one of the first Nintendo games I played, and uh, and that music, and, like, you, you play as the different wrestlers, and they all have icons that come across as, like, power-ups across the screen. Not a great game. Uh, it was a claim, but the box was so minty. I'm like, you know, I did like this game when I was a kid, so nostalgic memories and the fact that it's in, like, a minty box, those two things equal Greggy takes a game home. And then this one I can't believe I didn't have because I've talked about this game before. I don't know if I've talked about it on here, but um, Anticipation for the NES. So Anticipation is a mix between Trivial Pursuit and Pictionary. So imagine a Trivial Pursuit board that you're going around after rolling the dice, but instead of landing on a trivia question, you land on one and it, has, it starts drawing a picture and you have to chime in, guess what the picture is, and then you get that color. And then after you get all the colors, you move up like, the platform to the next level up and it's like a game of trivial pursuit um super fun you can play up to four people with just two controllers so you don't need, didn't need to buy a four player tap or anything like that it was uh, really fun 
after a while though you start to memorize all of the categories and so you'll know at the start when it says food and you know if it starts to make a little line at the top that that's a like a triangle of cheese and so it's really unfortunate for new people playing the game against uh veterans such as myself because uh i will destroy you because i just memorized all the answers from all the years <laughs> um next up we got in some sega cd games i got a copy of sonic cd I've always wanted this, and now I have it, uh, the tall box complete, not like the little sleeve jewel case version. Picked up a copy of Amazing Spider-Man for Sega CD. Again, not a great game, but it's Spider-Man, and the art is awesome on it, and it's Sega CD, so I'm trying to blow up that library a little bit. And lastly, I finished with a copy of Rise of the Dragon, which is kind of like a point-and-click adventure game, uh, uh, and it's a sci-fi kind of future punk. It's... It's really cool. Like, this is just one of those games. And you can get this a million different ways, but on console, only available on Sega CD without going on PC. And actually, that's not true. It might be on 3DO or CDI, but, I mean, of normal consoles that you're most likely to own, it's going to be on Sega CD. <laughs> um, all right. So that is it for our game of the week and our pickup pile of the week. Let's see what we got here now. I have a listener question. And here we go. So, uh, with the Halloween season setting upon us, do you have any fun spooky video game memories or any horror games you would like to play or go back to? Uh, well, that's a very good question. I, I'm not much of a scary game guy. I used to... I used to... Uh, I tried playing a few scary games way back in the day. And when I was playing them, I was so tense. I was tense and tight the whole time. It actually made me uncomfortable. My back would start hurting and... And, uh, and so I didn't like playing them. It was too stressful. So I haven't played a lot of games. However, I would say that for the NES, I am particularly big fan of Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. Even Friday the 13th can still give you a good scare. Uh, actually the, the developers of that really were able to pull, pull some jump scares out of that game, which is funny for an NES game. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street's not scary by any stretch. It's just more, uh, of the source material. Oh, excuse me. Um, but Friday the 13th is a legitimate scary game that like spooks you and it's stupid hard. And so, uh, yeah, I, w I would say I'd like to go back and beat Friday the 13th one time, but I have to read some strategies because every time I pick up that game, like it just beats my ass bad. Um, other than that, I do want to play through, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, but I really want to play through the Silent Hill games. I've never played through any of them. And I just feel like I'm totally missing out on one of the best series of all time. So it's definitely want to dip my toe back in a Silent Hill. And then of course there's the Fatal Frame games. Uh, PS2 had a horror game called Kuon. Uh, there's so many I'd like to play. So hopefully I can get over that, that tenseness and that uncomfortable of playing horror games and actually find one that I, that I really enjoy. That's what I'm hoping for. All right, and everyone, that is it for the podcast today. As always, you can listen on SoundCloud, Spotify, and on iTunes. Just search for Game Talk Radio. If you want to follow us on YouTube, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. That would be huge. We're almost to 6,000 subs. We're getting close. We should hit that by the end of the year. And that'll be uh, that'll be pretty pretty amazing, I think, because last year we were at 3,000 around this time. So to get to get 6,000, you know, 3,000 subs in a year for a channel our size is pretty good without anything, you know, blowing up in particular, you know, just us doing our thing, our slow, slow and steady growth, building our, our fan base. Um, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. It's youtube.com slash drop rate. If you want to, uh, follow us on Twitch, we're twitch.tv slash the drop rate. 
and that uh, every Monday night we do a podcast. I haven't been on a few weeks because of my crazy work schedule, but uh, we do a weekly podcast there. Jeremy streams, and every now and then I'll throw a stream on there. Not to mention November 2nd, so 30 days from today, one month from today, I will be doing my Extra Life 24-hour and probably 25-hour stream because it's daylight savings time. So I will most likely do like 8 a.m. to 8 a.m. So 25-hour stream. And we'll be doing that for charity. So we're raising money again for the Children's Hospital of Wisconsin. So I'll be talking a lot more about that as time gets closer. Obviously, accepting donations is huge on that. We have a lofty goal this year. I think our goal is to be $6,000. It is up there. And last year, we got a really lucky, great fan who listens to the Madden segment I do on the radio. And... uh. And so we, we hit that goal relatively easy last year, our, our $5,000 goal, or I think it was actually 3000 And then we upped it because we hadn't even done the sale. Cause part of, so I do a sale at Game Trade that day and we give 10% of our sales to the charity. So we gave like a thousand bucks just from Game Trade last year. And so, you know, we were already at like three or 4,000 before the event even started. So I was like, okay, well we got to up the goal obviously, you know? And so we upped the goal and then I think we upped it to five and we ended up at like 53 or 5,400. So it was really good. So this year I'm going to go for 6,000 bucks to raise money for the children's hospital of Wisconsin. And I will keep that going. I will keep talking about that a lot. And then that day will be, uh, that'll be fun. And, and really another thing that helps, even if you don't have the money to donate, and I totally understand this, if you don't have the money, it's totally fine. Even if you turn it on and have it on in the background, Having more viewers, one, boosts my confidence, makes me have more fun, but also it gets more viewed by people looking for streams. So a lot of times if someone sees someone has 30 people watching, they're more likely to walk in and watch that stream. If there's only one or no people watching, they're going to be like, well, this guy sucks, obviously, and we're not going to watch it. So sometimes even showing up is huge. So any help is always appreciated, much, much appreciated. So thank you, everyone, for listening and watching. As always, I will not be here next week. As a reminder, I'll be in Ireland but the week after, I'll be back. The normal scheduled time on Tuesdays, like it is, not on a Wednesday. And uh, and I appreciate all of you very much. And I hope you all have a great day. Have a great couple of weeks. We'll see you when we get back. We'll talk some Ireland game hunting. Have a good one. Bye-bye.